a new Bible translation removes and even changes references to Israel from their translation. And with Ramadan starting, let's talk about how we can share the gospel with Muslims. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we have some topics to discuss that we're really excited about. But I also wanted to share something that's on my heart Um just in regards to COVID-19 and everything, I know we usually have to start with that in the, in the very beginning, but one thing, I was I was kind of disturbed. Uh, this morning, I was going through some of the messages and emails, and I saw someone had written that they were so upset with Pastor Joe for some of the precautions that he's taking uh, concerning COVID-19 uh, and the fact that he's taking those precautions, that he's leading his congregation astray because he is taking those precautions. And I want to put this out there real quick. First and foremost, uh, we do not want to stumble anybody, okay? We're, we're trying not to stumble anybody, regardless of what it is, okay? And when it comes to the pendulum swinging that takes place, you can see how some people can go to one side or the other on this. Some people will sway so far to the left in the sense of, I'm not talking about liberal ideology, but to the left, in the sense that if you take any precautions whatsoever with your congregation to make sure that people aren't getting sick and and dying, that if you take any precaution whatsoever, then you're not having enough faith in God. Now, I think that's word of faith-based. I think that's completely not gospel-minded. I do not believe that is the truth of what the scriptures teach concerning any sort of um, sickness or, or anything like that. I don't believe that's wise. Okay. But then there is the pendulum swinging on the other side. Okay. That says you must take every single precaution that you have to do this, 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 and let's just listen to the government, whatever they say, follow it lockstep. Okay. I don't think we need to take either one of those sides. I think there's a central position where we say, Hey, we recognize one, that most young people, most healthy people that don't have autoimmune diseases, that aren't obese, that don't have diabetes, okay, that don't have respiratory issues, most young people, and when I say young, I'm sure, uh, you know, that is a moving scale, okay, I see usually when we get the numbers back, they're between 18 and 45 is one of the demographics, I don't know like ever in any history ever where 18 to 45 is a demographic, but nonetheless, that's one that I see. And still, most people inside of those lines will not pass away as unless they're immunocompromised, right? But nonetheless, uh, we want to make sure that we stay in bounds in terms of, hey, I want to make sure that I'm not going crazy, all right? And I also want to make sure that I don't endanger anybody. And so I would say as a church, we've done, a, I believe, a great job at keeping the precautions at a proper biblical place. Now, I will tell you guys every time that I just was together last night, um, typically Monday night, I'll be together again Friday night, 
Sunday night and Monday again. Okay, we have a small group of less than 10 that we meet, have fellowship, and continue in that fellowship, take communion together. And guys, it's been a blessing uh, that we can do that. And I just want to put that out there. I don't want people, I don't think it's good to go one side or the other and go crazy. Okay. And this person specifically said she will no longer be listening to Pastor Joe's teachings, even though she's learned from them for seven years because he's been, he's taking precautions concerning COVID-19. And I, I, you know, I just wanted to put that out there. I think that's somewhat of a ridiculous stance to take. Speaking of ridiculous stances to take, that takes us right directly into the topics we are going to be discussing today on this show. The topic I wanted to bring up, and there was something Tony and I had talked about and I had seen posted online, is once again a, a mistranslation. And that's what these types of things are, okay? Mistranslating, but the problem is when you do it on purpose, mistranslating the text of scripture on purpose. This is what Charles Taze Russell did when it came to the Jehovah's Witness and putting together a translation that will dictate his beliefs rather than what scripture actually says. This is what, as we'll talk about later, this is precisely what Thomas Jefferson did. And we'll talk, like I said, I want to talk about that a little more in depth. Okay. And this is something that happens. Now, when you hear the word modern translations, some of you guys that are King James only consider anything after 1611 modern. I don't know how you do that. Honestly, like just thinking logically, modern translation, thinking of a translation that came over 1500 years from the original and considering that these last three, you know, 400 years that that would mean that these are modern and you weren't uh, sounds ridiculous to me as well. But nonetheless, I don't believe uh, well, we, we could talk about, uh, and, and I, and I want to, I want to encourage you to go check out. We have a few different resources regarding King James onlyism. Okay. We have uh, a few teachings that Joe did. Um, is, I believe it's a five volume series that we have available on our website on the heresy of King James onlyism. And we also have uh, a few episodes we did where we talk about Theodore Beza and we talk about him being the son-in-law of one John Calvin and sneaking some of the teachings of that into the King James translation, okay? So we've done a few things on this, and I'm sure Tony will put those up. But nonetheless, um, these things are really important for us to talk about because the danger of translating something and not simply translating it is one that is, that's where we talk about honesty. You see, my wife, she went to college and graduated a number of years ago uh, with a degree in deaf studies. And she is fluent in sign language. We've gone to different places around the country. She's gone to witness on the streets to those who are deaf and share the gospel. We've gone out to Africa and worked with deaf schools. I am not fluent in sign language. I was probably better in junior high. I had a friend who was deaf and I learned the ABCs and then I learned how to say, how do you say, and would spell it out and learn a few words. And But my wife is fluent in sign language. Now, when she was going to sign language, or when she was learning sign language, she thought, hey, maybe I'll be an interpreter. But one of the reasons she didn't want to do in, uh, interpretation was the fact that you have to interpret whatever is said. You don't get to put your spin on it, okay? And I'm sure as her being how she is with witnessing wanting to share the gospel, if she was translating for someone who was way off, she probably wouldn't want to translate it, okay? 
But nonetheless, that would be her job and it would be dishonest to mistranslate on purpose what was said. And in fact, I can tell you this, this exact thing happened to Pastor Joe when we were in Uganda. We had somebody with us who spoke Lugandan, I believe is the, the language that was there. Now, most of them, I believe the national language of Uganda is English, but many of them, depending on where you go, do not speak great English, so they will have an interpreter for you. And when Joe was preaching against the prosperity movement in a specific church, we were told that not all the things he was saying were being translated, okay? So this is something that we're talking a litmus test on honesty. And when it comes to the recent Danish translation of the Bible that has gone out, this one, the Danish Bible Society, is raising some eyebrows because it released a new translation that omits dozens of references to Israel, the land of Israel, switching it to the land of Jews, even some places taking it and and just saying all people instead of Israel. Okay, there's a big, big problem with doing this. Their excuse is ridiculous. Okay, the fact is, is they're not pushing a translation and translating it honestly for what the text says. What they are really doing is trying to get your eyes to move into replacement theology. That's the truth. When you're underpining, okay, and you're going behind the back of what the original actually says in order to convey, convey something else, you are no longer honest. The litmus test calls you a liar, okay? And that's a fact. We don't get to just translate whatever we want out of the text and then just say, oh, well, it would mean this and this will make more sense for you, okay? That is not how translations work, in fact, I was just watching the documentary, which I, I would suggest. I bought it on the Faith and Life TV app. Um, it's called Fragments of Truth. It's an excellent, excellent documentary by Dr. Craig Evans, where he goes around talking about the original autographs of the New Testament um, and talking about the manuscript evidence. And I I found it fascinating. I'm a little bit of a dork, so maybe uh, I'm, I'm, I'm different, but... I remember as a new believer studying manuscript evidence and realizing the weight of the evidence of the manuscripts that we have and the fact that we do have uh, these original autographs basically because we have the translations of those original autographs, many, 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 many manuscripts that uh, would have been written down uh, during the time when the... Autographs were around even. Uh, we have mention of that. And I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm getting so sidetracked, but I thought it was an excellent documentary. I, I thought they did a great job in conveying uh, some central truths there. But the fact is, is that we can look back at these texts and what we want to do is have translations that do it accurately. And what this lie of a translation does is take away that and their excuse is they don't want anyone to think of modern Israel when they talk about Israel in the Old Testament. Now, it doesn't change the names of the other areas around that area, right? I mean, you guys have Bibles. Whenever you read certain places and times, oh, this is modern-day Turkey, and this is modern-day, and you just have that at the bottom of your Bible, you don't change the translation in order to specify that. Okay, and I think it's a dirty trick. I think it's a trick by people that are, in all honesty, anti-Israel, and that's that's why they're being dishonest with how they're translating it, guys. And I, I do think it has a, an importance, and, and somebody, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is important because it shows your honesty, and it shows your narrative, and it shows your intent for why you want to change it, and your excuses 
are pathetic. The fact is, when I read the Bible, I want to know what the Bible says. I don't want to know what your interpretation says. I certainly don't want a message Bible. I don't want nonsense in there that I don't know what they're talking about. And the fact is, is that this is something that has happened over and over again. Okay, I mentioned already the Jehovah's Witness, the New Living Abomination. I mean, the New Living Translation, okay, that literally is just a lie. Okay, that is a lie of a translation. Charles Taze Russell supposedly taught himself, and he literally could not translate even Genesis 1-1, okay, and yet translated the Old and New Testament, which basically just meant he stole from other translations and then switched things when he wanted to include his own doctrine. But nonetheless, like I said, this is one that is not new. It's not new to switch up and change what the Bible actually says. It's not new at all, in fact, because right here you have Thomas Jefferson, right? Credited for the writing of the Declaration of Independence, okay? And we have what's called the Jefferson Bible, all right. It was bought by the Smithsonian. And I'm going to read a little bit from the Smithsonian website so you guys get a little background on this. And I have heard excuses very similarly to what you heard, you would hear by listening to the Danish Bible Society and why they translate it this way, um, you know, to help people understand. And I've heard the same excuses by why supposedly they made a, they were making a translation that took out all the Son of God statements so that they could witness better to Muslims. And some people say they took that Thomas Jefferson took the miracles out of the New Testament so that people would get the philosophy of Jesus without the miraculous in order to be able to share with Indians. This is bogus. It's dishonest. It's a lie. And as Proverbs chapter 30 says, you will be proven to be a liar. And that's what the people are that do these sorts of translations. It's a dirty trick, okay? And it's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to read straight from this Smithsonian who actually bought this from, I believe, Thomas Jefferson's granddaughter. They bought a copy. Uh, now, there were a, a ton of copies made, thousands of copies made of the Jefferson Bible, and it used to be given, I believe, to every president up until the 50s, uh, 1950s. But, but nonetheless, the Smithsonian has had this for quite a while. And this is from their website, speaking of Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, together with several of his fellow founding fathers, was influenced by the principles of deism, a construct that envisioned a supreme being as a sort of watchmaker who had created the world but no longer intervened dire directly in daily life. I want to just make this statement real quick. I've heard this statement made, uh, all right, that... Well, it, God's just so big that he just created the earth and he was done with it, okay, by non-believers. And they act like God is much bigger by not being involved in the affairs of man. But the fact is, my God is not some weak loser, okay, some weak God that creates us and cannot be intimately acquainted with all of our ways. That God is a small God that could not intervene on our behalf and step into time, space, and matter and be involved with us in the everyday, okay? That is not the God that in the person of Jesus Christ, in his death, tore the veil so that we could go directly to him. That is not the God that knows every hair on our head and knows when we sit and when we rise and when we stand, okay? That God, that deistic God is pathetic and he's not, he doesn't exist, but nonetheless, let's keep going. They said, in fact, Jefferson was devoted to the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is because he was called an atheist by many people. And so they were kind of responding to that. And he said, 
Quote, but he didn't always agree with how they were interpreted by biblical sources, including the writers of the four gospels whom he considered to be untrustworthy correspondents. I want you to think through the logic. And what's interesting is we're going to be talking about Islam uh, later in this episode. Okay. And I want you to think of the logic that Thomas Jefferson in such arrogance would be able, okay, to in the 18th century, have a better knowledge of what Jesus said and did and taught and practiced. Okay than those who were there when he did it. Could you imagine the height of arrogance? Could you imagine the height of arrogance to think that after all those years, you will have a better understanding? You have a better understanding, and you will be able to take out and clip. And I want to talk about exactly how he did that. So Jefferson created his own gospel by taking a sharp instrument, perhaps a penknife, to existing copies of the New Testament and pasting up his own account of Christ's philosophy, distinguishing it from what he called, quote, the corruption of schismatizing followers. He cut out passages with some sort of very sharp blade and using a blank paper, glued down lines from each of the Gospels in the four columns. Much of the material Jefferson elected not to include related miraculous events, such as the feeding of the multitudes with only two fish and five loaves of barley bread. He eschewed anything that he perceived as, quote, contrary to reason. Now, I want to tell you this, any miracle, okay, that happens by way of God himself, any miracle that happens should be outside of the time-space matter, okay, should be outside of of simply, it's not outside of reasoning, okay, because we can reasonably deduce that we are created, okay, and we are created in time, space, and matter, and that something created us outside of time, space, and matter, and we could reasonably deduce that he can step in to time, space, and matter, and that he isn't a weakling, okay? So when the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to the earth, made, he, think about it, we are made in his image, what is he called in John 1, 1? By the way, this very miracle that he would have pasted over, okay, comes from the Gospel of John, all right? And in the Gospel of John, in John 1, 1, we see that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what is the Word used for Word? It is the Word Logos, okay, where we would get the Word Logic or Reasoning. Okay, we are made in his image. Okay, and God has set certain principles together so that guess what? That is how they run. Our God is a God of order, not disorder. And so he has miracles that he performs that step outside of that order so that we can't get away from it. This is the miraculous, and you can know that God truly exists. And truly, in the person of Jesus Christ, stepped into time, space, and and matter. Okay. It says in Isaiah nine, for unto us, a child is born his human nature and unto us, a son is given his divine nature. You see, when the angel Gabriel, the true angel Gabriel came and spoke, he said that he would be the son of God. The Holy spirit is the one that placed Jesus into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Okay, she was a virgin then, she wasn't after, she had other children. In fact, we have 
the book of James. We have Jude. These are the brothers of Jesus, okay? Mary did not continue in her virginity, all right? She was virgin at Jesus's birth, all right? But nonetheless, you think about this. It is the angel Gabriel, and this is where I'm going to transition, all right? I have to transition because Tony just gave me the mark that I don't have that much time, all right? So nonetheless, I wanted to talk a little bit about how these translations do that. And it's really eerie to me that we are talking about the mistranslation, the misunderstanding on the day right now in a few hours, it will be sunset here in California. And it will also mean at sunset that it is Ramadan. So I want to talk about the angel Gabriel calling Jesus the son of God, calling Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, because I want to talk about Islam for a second. Now, when it comes to Islam, I myself, I'm not a scholar on the subject, but I will say, and I want to give you my background with uh, with those who practice the Islamic faith. Um, my background is, the fact is, when I grew up here in America, I was in junior high when 9-11 happened. I was an unsaved reprobate at the time, okay, but... In America, for I don't know about you guys, California's a little different. So maybe Midwest, uh, you know, maybe the, the quote unquote Bible Belt, maybe you guys are a little different over there. But in America, if you were born here, unless your parents were, di- you know, different than mine, I guess, um, a lot of times you figure if you're American, you love America, you're a Christian. All right. I was not truly a Christian. I was already drinking long beforehand in in junior high. I was a drunkard already doing terrible, horrible, wicked things, had no relationship with Christ whatsoever. And so when I was in junior high and I hear that, you know, 9-11 happens and it was all the Muslims and all the Muslims fault, my anger went towards any Muslim. Right. I, I mean, that's just true. All right. And it wasn't until I came to know the Lord that I began to have a heart towards those who practice Islam. Okay. I had people in my life that I found out, you know, after coming to faith that these people that I know are Islamic. And after that, I also, guess what? I started going out and sharing the gospel. And guess who were the most willing people to have a discussion about the gospel? Muslims. Guys, those were the most willing people that if I began a discussion, I could talk about spiritual matters and they would also talk right back with me. And so immediately I began loving the discussion. And so this was only a few months after my faith, maybe August. I came to faith January 19th, 2009. I started not only studying uh, Islam, but studying um, the Hadiths, um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But we have over the next uh, couple days uh, for the Good Fight Radio Show, we're going to discuss Islam at length because, guys, this is Ramadan. Okay, this is Ramadan. This is the time where we can discuss Islam. This is the time where Muslims all over the the planet right now. uh, In fact, it's one of the five pillars. If you want to get into heaven, you better be doing this. Um, They will be fasting during this time. All right. As soon as the the sun rises, they begin their fast. Okay. And that is not only food, it's also water. It's also sexual activity. Okay. And they will begin their fast. And the only time that they can end their fast is when the night falls. Okay. And this is to celebrate for the next month, the revealing of the Quran to Muhammad. Okay. 
And so it's called the Night of Power. Um, basically, the Quran under Islam, and I'll give a little history. I have a little, uh, not a little time, but uh, I'll give a little background. The Quran was written in heaven, according to Islam, on tablets and basically divvied out to uh, Muhammad over the course of a couple decades. Um, and they worship, uh, you know, Allah accordingly, and they believe that the Quran is literally eternal. And I don't I don't have enough time to get into the different aspects of how that is different from us saying that every word of the Bible is theanustas, but also recognizing that God did it in time. Um, but there are major differences between that. Um, but nonetheless, guys, I, I want to paint a picture of how I love sharing the gospel with Muslims. And I have to tell you that I love it. I absolutely love sharing the gospel with Muslims because one, it is where I started having to learn apologetics. It is where I started having to really understand um, where people have discrepancies, uh, understanding exactly. I talked about fragments of truth, understanding what manuscript evidence is, understanding what it means when it comes to inerrancy, understanding what it means to incomes, when it comes to what the Bible teaches. Because one of the things you will find is if you go and share the gospel with Muslim, they are going to attack the scriptures. They're going to attack the Bible and they will then take out only portions of the scripture that coincide with a Quran that came hundreds of years after the scripture. Okay. Centuries and centuries after the Holy writ that we have today. Okay. And most of it, if you read the Quran, which I have and I am doing right now and doing a full study through it uh, during Ramadan. If you read the Quran, you will see that Muhammad never had a literary translation or um, literary understanding of the New Testament, or even I believe the Old Testament. I believe he had a understanding that was oral, and that's why his stories were all off. I believe he had an understanding of Gnostic Christianity, not true Christianity. And you think about the complaints that a Muslim may have, and they are most of them are ignorant to how the Bible actually came to be, and most of them believe that it came about. In 325 AD at the at the Council of Nicaea, even though that is just absolutely ridiculous, and the Council of Nicaea had absolutely nothing, not one single thing to do with the translation or uh, putting together of the New Testament. But nonetheless, that is something that you will hear if you're on the streets. And so for me, I was really excited to learn these things, and I had to because I needed to be able to address them with the Muslims I was sharing with every Friday in, in Santa Monica. And guys, I, I want you to know this. There's no, obviously not a once-all in terms of sharing the gospel with Muslims. But one thing is true. You need to know your gospel. You need to know your Bible. You need to know where they are going to attack it. Okay. If we know the enemy is coming after us and we know where he's going to come, we will be ready to defend it. You need to know your scriptures. And that is first and foremost. And then moving forward, learn what they believe about the scriptures. Because the fact is, even though a Muslim will sit there and attack your scriptures, okay, a Muslim will sit and attack the New Testament. And what he will do is the same thing these translators did, the same things Thomas Jefferson did. They have their own reasoning, their own understanding, and then they will look through the lenses of scripture through their goggles and then they will take out those portions that they do not believe and 
Muhammad didn't do this, but his followers will do right now. They will look just as Thomas Jefferson did and not those reasoning things, not those miracle things, but anytime where Jesus is called the son of God, anytime where Jesus is the one true God, any of those times they see a book that was written hundreds and hundreds of years by the very apostles of Jesus Christ know what it says and say, well, those parts aren't true. Only these parts that agree with my ideology, only these parts which agree with the Quran. And so what we have to do is make sure we understand what that gospel actually says and also point out to them, this is a fact and I have one minute left, so there's no way I'm getting to anywhere near what I wanted to talk about. But nonetheless, we need to also address this and and maybe I'll go over this with Joe. In a, in a couple of shows next week. But the fact is, is that guess what? The Quran never says the Bible was corrupted. Not once. There's no statement ever. In fact, it actually says that the Gospels, the Injil, were given by Allah and that Allah's word cannot be corrupted. So guess what? You need to go back to knowing your word, sharing it with them, loving them because they are lost. And guess what? You have the antidote to the false gospel because that's what it is. It's another gospel just like Paul warned. There would be other gospels just like 1 John 2 warned that what is Antichrist? He who denies the Father and the Son. They deny the Father and the Son. It's an Antichrist religion but love them enough to share the truth. This is Chad Davidson and this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.